Welcome to Tea with Culture. I'm Hind Mizena, and in this episode, I'm in conversation with Munira al about the exhibition she curated titled Bain, the In-Between, which opened on 25th February and on until 18 June at Warehouse 421 in Abu Dhabi. The exhibition features work by eight UAE-based artists of different nationalities, plus one guest artist, Manal al-Dawayan. Bain is the Arabic word for in-between, and in the context of this exhibition, it examines the divide between the recent past and the present. It aims to understand the dynamics between the set future and the captivating narratives of our histories that are often romanticized. It looks at that space in between those two prevailing narratives that is often rarely examined. The artists in the exhibition were invited to deconstruct and reconstruct labels, boundaries, and assigned identities in order to understand this constant state of transformation. During our walk through the exhibition, Munira explains each artist's work. Hello, Munira. Ahlan. Hi. I'd like you to start with yeah the, the title of the exhibition, the theme of the exhibition, and then if you can talk me through all the artists in it and their work. Definitely. Uh, to get started with, uh, with the, the title of the exhibition is exactly what the theme uh, is and what it encompasses throughout the, um, throughout the show. The title Bain actually came from a conversation I had with Maria Moussam. And uh, she was uh, in charge of doing all of the, the uh, translations of the text. And so we were having this conversation, and I was telling her, you know, the exhibition is talking about this time. It's neither the, it's neither the past and it's neither the future. It's this, this present moment. And so the conversation went on, and, and throughout the, um, the nine months that I was working with the artists, I had... Um, these reading groups where I would meet and we would discuss um, the narrative of the exhibition and initially it started from this idea of transition and what it means to transition and for the transition to then transform into what we are today and um, so the conversation went on and uh, and we came up with this idea of Bain uh, Mariam had suggested this uh, the title of Bain and I thought yes it's local, it's easy, it's, you can say it in English, you can say it in Arabic, and this exhibition is exactly that moment of looking at the in-between generation is how I like to look at it. And um, to break that down further, the way that I began to um, look at this frame of in-between is through the lens of liminality. And uh, once, a, once a month I would meet with the, uh, with the artists and we would do a reading group we would read up to 10 pages of a text that I've been uh, looking at or reading and th- different theories, and I came across this idea of liminality, which is, uh, which highlights the in-between as equally important to the starting point and the end point. And I feel, as an Emirati myself, uh, that we're constantly living in this like, hypothetical lens of the future and the defined sense of what the past is without any understanding of what the present moment is. So this exhibition looks to question, seek, understand, define from a you know, self uh, perspective uh, what, what we are today and who we are today as a people. So, yeah. Um, important questions, I guess, because I agree with you here. We're always, it's either a look at the past and a lot about the future. So it's always about kind of future projects and plans and announcements. And, and I always wonder, like, wait, what, what discussions are happening about the present? Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting 
um, it's good to know that there's this exhibition, which and Bain is the Arabic word for in between, just so for people who aren't uh, familiar yeah. with uh, with the actual word. Um, so, can you tell me about the choice of artists and how were they selected? Definitely. So we have eight uh, artists who were commissioned, and uh, ninth artist who is our guest artist, Manal Boyan. And uh, the selection process was very much, uh, I, I went back and I, I looked at the artists that I know and the artists who I don't, and, but whose practice actually looks at this, like this has an essence of transition. And uh, so from that, um, I began to limit the amount and I had a number of up to 10 artists that I could work with. And um, I felt like 10 maybe a little bit too much. So I ended up with eight artists. And um, yeah, so it was a conversation between me uh, and uh, the uh, Shoba from uh, UAE Unlimited. And it was just a back and forth conversation until we decided cumulatively on the eight. So just a bit about UAE Unlimited, because there is actually the entity that's commissioned this exhibition. Mm -hmm. And it's an annual exhibition. And so far, it's happened three times in three different Emirates. Uh, and this is the third edition, which obviously you're doing in Abu Dhabi. The previous editions were in Sharjah and in Dubai. Uh, and could you maybe tell us a bit about UA Unlimited and its role in terms of the opportunity to commission exhibitions like this and why they do it and yeah. what happens to the work after the exhibition? So UAE Unlimited works with a non-for-profit institution every year and then they work with a curator alongside it. Usually they work with the curator of the institution. This year they approached me and then um, we uh, and then they approached the warehouse and so we, we kind of merged uh, together. And um, what UAE Unlimited seeks to do is it, it's looking at commissioning up to 10 artists a year, emerging artists from the UAE, practicing in the UAE, uh, regardless of nationality. And, uh, and then the artwork, once it's been commissioned and exhibited, then is housed in uh, Sheikh Zayed bin Sultan Al Nahyan's collection. All right, so can we start with the, uh, with the tour? And uh, I think we're going to start with... Talin Hasbar's work? So Talin uh, Hasbar's work is uh, titled Accumulation. And um, Talin, the conversation that I had with Talin was um, with regards to her place as uh, uh, someone who's Syrian, who's basically lived her entire life in the UAE, and, uh, and how that role and how her role defines a lot of, uh, like a huge population's role in the UAE and, and their relationship with the landscape. So what we have here is al-garagir, um, um, which are the traditional fishing nets. And um, Talin went out to sea with the fishermen off the coast of uh, Sharjah. And she started to get to know their practice. And she started to understand how many times they go and how they release the, um, the gargur into the water, how deep in it needs to go. And so she, she began to understand the science of fishing, the traditional science of fishing, and, uh, and the seasons of it. And so what she began to fall in love with was the material of the gargur, this, um, this subject or this object that is not part of the ocean but takes from the ocean and then leaves. So she began to humanize this um, structure. And what we have here are three garagir. Um, each, uh, each gargur was placed into the water off the coast of Sharjah, and uh, she removed the cone as 
for fish not to get stuck in it. And she placed the gargur into the water and she let it stay, this specific one, for three weeks. And she allowed it to... to um, to exist in the water for three weeks and, and things began to accumulate around them. Barnacles, seaweed, worms, um, different foliage from the sea and it embraced the gargur as part of its, uh, part of its environment. So the gargur no longer became uh, an alien to that environment but became a part of it. And so that dialogue is a direct conversation that she has with the UAE and that sense of in-between. Um, and so what we have is three different gargurs. Uh, each one has been placed at, um, in different iterations of time. You have the, uh, you have the, uh, um, the first one, which has been placed for three weeks, and then, uh, four weeks, sorry, and then three weeks and two weeks. And as you can see, the less time you spend in an environment, the less of the environment you become. Yeah, no, it's quite fascinating to see these fishnets. And yeah, like you said, it's kind of it, it, taking off the sea. I like that it's an alien object that goes in and leaves, but it takes from the sea. And yeah, I mean, for listeners, yes, it's quite dense. There's lots of layers around these nets. And, um, and yeah, and, and the meaning of it, and just kind of with, with, with Talene's own personal feelings and how she feels within you know, with it living here and or her surroundings and reflecting this with the net is quite uh, fascinating. Um, all right, the next one is uh, Saral Haddad. Yeah, so uh, Saral Haddad's work is, uh, it's split into three um, different chapters. And um, the first chapter is what you see here, which is very typical of Sarah al-Haddad's work, um, which is uh, a crocheting, very obsessive crocheting sculpture that we've laid on the ground. Now she's used, she usually uses yarn, and her pieces are usually hung. They're never um, placed on the ground. But I'll just backtrack a little bit before I describe each, um, each chapter of the work. So uh, the conversation that was had with Sarah with regards to this in-between nature is the, um, the search for home. And being from the Emirates and Emirati, and she just res- re- returned from um, Baltimore from her MFA at MICA, and, uh, and coming, leaving and having two years to discover yourself and be independent, and then coming home, that journey of the return to the hypothetical home or what has ri- rigidly been told for years and years that this is your home, no longer feels like home. So this is an exploration of that feeling of what does it mean what does home mean? And that in-between nature of her returning to a place that was once considered home but that is no longer. Um, so what we have here are actually five large sheets of tissue paper that she's um, knitted in the same style that she does her crochet work. Uh, and uh, and each, um, each sheet has taken her over seven hours to produce. And, uh, and, and every time she would complete a knot, she would think about the idea of home. And so it became a very meditative um, practice for her in which every, and, but also haunting because she began to realize what home was not. And so she began to, you know, every knot she would say, you know, home is a conversation, home is a feeling, home is fleeting, home is not here, home was here, home is Baltimore, you know, home is a tree. Uh, and uh, and so, so imagine having 
so many of these knots and it's it's very uh inviting you almost kind of want to lay in it you know and it feels like a a blanket that you want to protect yourself with and that is the idea of home yeah on a very like um detached sense when you think about home you think of like a cozy meal um and so what we have here is this inviting sculpture that you know has changed over the time that we've initially placed it. People have moved it around, although they're not meant to, but it is inviting. And so it's been interesting to see how people react to this part of the um, part of the work. Because, yeah, I mean, it, yeah, it ate the material tissue. So I was wondering, like, is it meant to stay? Is it just ephemeral? Is it just for the exhibition? It, will she make other versions of these? Uh, I mean, overall, yes, because there's how many, you said, what, there was five or six of them put together. So it looks like a inviting kind of cushioned warm place that you just want to lie in and roll in and and blanket yourself and shelter yourself from the world which you know home is right it's safety it's comfort it's being surrounded by what you know and what uh, makes you happy and keeps you safe and so that and where is that right and that's different meanings for different artists but it's interesting seeing the choice of material because i've seen her work where it's it's kind of the uh, the yarn that you talked about and in different colors and I feel maybe her scales now are getting bigger and bigger because mm-hmm. <laughs> I've yeah. seen work which takes over like an entire staircase or, or a wall and this one takes a big chunk of uh, space on, on the floor and uh, yeah and I'm kind of interested to see you know the bigger they get what do they mean and what do they represent yeah. and I think it's really interesting to see Sarah's evolution over the past few years I mean you've seen it I've seen it the first time I was introduced to her work was uh in um, Art Dubai, the first time I properly saw it, when she took over that staircase. Um, and I, I was a Venice, an intern at the Venice uh, Pavilion 2013, and as was Sara, and we were roomed together. So for me, it's really interesting to then see the conversations that we had materialize into something like obsessive almost, like the way that she thinks, and, and she's very introverted in her nature and so the way that she um, expresses through her work is always always comes from a very personal narrative which I think is what differentiates her from a lot of other artists currently in the UAE who are trying to tackle bigger social issues. Sarah comes at you with a with a feeling and she translates that feeling into her artwork and and so so this this piece really embodies that that sensation of her of her work um so then we come to the second chapter which is this concrete um box that um that she so this the story of this box is that it came um when she was moving from baltimore back to uh, dubai she had a box with a lot of her um belongings and so she when she brought that box back she felt like that box had was a piece of home it was the carrier of home and so um, she then casted it in concrete because what's more permanent than concrete? Uh, and then she realized that concrete also breaks. And uh, so with that, we had a long conversation about what does that mean? Because even the idea of home is meant to be concrete. That's why she she she, she uh, plastered it in, in, in a material that's so tough and rigid and um, and so her her response was we had this conversation and it was again it reflected back to this in between state and nature of what home is to her and so we placed the base of the box we could we kept the broken box um, 
as a as a symbol and and uh, the the uh, the base of it her idea of home her notion of home is solid it's strong so we kept the base which is solid and strong on the ground and then we worked our way up and the the final part of the box is not complete because she doesn't feel like it's it's done yet or that she's found it but instead what we have is um this shoebox which you're welcome to look through and I, I would hope you would look through um that has different definitions of home for her and funnily enough all of the definitions are things that she's either written or held onto from Baltimore and brought so it feels very invasive in my opinion every time i look through i kind of want to look like just not touch it anymore but then i remember that you're allowed to um so this this is one of my favorite ones which is first night in america and it's just a it's a rapper at, uh from a, a yeah, chocolate cupcake and it's like you're almost there with her you know and um and so so you have different things and notes and lists and shopping lists and um thoughts and ideas um you know yeah, you're holding a note and it's and it says Maryam she reminded me it's okay to be emotionally involved but between emotionally and involved she's blocked a word so yeah, yeah. So, okay, she's, so she's sharing very kind of personal... So these are almost like her diaries based on objects she's collected or kept or written yeah. from uh, Baltimore. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm sure this is an ongoing process for her. This isn't a finished One, idea or 100%. work, right? I feel as though Sarah's work is... Uh, what's interesting about her work is it's always one st stepping stone in this... Not in the same conversation, but in a stream of thought. And so I definitely think that this is... this will be ongoing for her, yeah. Um, and so this brings us to the final part of uh, Sara's work, the third chapter, where she begins to discuss the in-between state uh, as, uh, as something that is self-inflicted due to change, and that change is inevitable, and that you, you, can't, you can't avoid change, so you might as well embrace it, which means if you embrace it, then you're constantly in an in-between state. You can never avoid that because... From one point to the next, there's always um, there's always that that gap, and so what you say, what through these two works here, um, which is a piece of tissue with uh, an imprinted her imprinted eyelashes, and then six tiny mason jars bottles with an individual eyelash in each bottle, and so. Every time an eyelash would fall, she would collect it. And this is just a few of many that she has. Uh, and uh, so she would collect the eyelash, showing that even within our nature, things are changing. We're transforming. And therefore, you're, you're in this constant state of, of, of in-between. And, and that this, this um, marking of the, the makeup, she's like, we change ourselves. And we don't realize that even with the smallest kind of addition to our face, Our personality changes or the way we carry ourselves change but then at the end of the day you remove it and when you remove it that again inflicts another change um, and then uh, the, the the pieces here um, on the left hand side of, of the of the eyelashes um, we have a set of const it's a constellation that she um, captured when she was invited to a 
Christmas dinner in Ohio, and she was at this dinner that her friend invited her to with her family, and she was telling me, she was like, Mira, never in my life had I felt so at home. She's like, I felt like this is what home is. And she was telling me it was this feeling of family and inclusion and warmth. And so she looked up at the sky and uh, she saw a series of stars. And you can actually see this, sorry, uh, here. So what she did was she took, a, she took an image of these stars, printed it on a transparent sheet, put it on a... Um, the canvas and then she French nodded each star um, to show again that that practice is linked to the initial um, piece but to show you know this sense of home and this again this ob ob obsession of what home is um, to her through through stitching and nodding um, and then the final set of pieces here are also flowers that she's collected from Baltimore, and each flower has a memory attached to it and, uh, and a meaning of home attached to it. And she casted it in this like resin um, to give it a sense of infinity and constant life and for it never to end and for that feeling to be ongoing. And so, yeah, that's the end of uh, Sarah's work. Yeah. Okay, and the next work we're looking at is by Nasser al-Zayani. And uh, I know, all I see are like lots of rocks and sand. And yeah, if you want to tell me about this. Okay. Uh, so Nasser al-Zayani's work is uh, titled Contemporary Archaeology. And uh, he's framing the present as something that will be... Um, in the future looked at as like a national treasure of some sort or you know the way when you go into the British Museum and you see all those artifacts and so what we've done is we've given him that chance to um, present um, pieces of what you see is plaster actually and not rock okay. um, and um, what he did is he went to Jebel Jais and he spent time there and what we have on the outside is his architecture uh, his sorry archaeological uh, setup and we also had a tent next to that chair that got destroyed by the rain but uh, so the the entire um, setup is to show how he came across finding these different um, parts of the earth. So what he's looking at is the disappearance of the mountain also and the mountainscape changing. And so he's touching base on climate change and what that's doing. And so he, he pinpointed different locations on Jebel Jais where the mountain started to evolve into a, pl a, pl a plateau or a, a plain as opposed to a mountain. And so what he began to realize as he was doing his study was there are these pockets across the mountain. And these pockets, when, when it rains, these are the pockets that start to uh, erode and start to change the, the overall landscape. So in this case, what we have is um, these pockets. And so he poured plaster into the pockets. And once the plaster dried, he lifted the, um, he lifted the plaster and he realized that he got a layer of, uh, of rock and stone and sand with it. So we presented it on its face, so although this looks really heavy, it's actually just very, very light. So there's a play, again, on uh, on time, there's a play on weight, there's a play on what's important and what we're actually looking at and what we will be able to save and what we won't be able to save. So there's like a pre-nostalgic element mm -hmm. to this work. And I guess they're encased in these glass uh, cases, so making them already feel like they're these precious objects mm -hmm. or rare objects. So, yeah, totally kind of like a masquerade or, you know, 
creating something that looks familiar and yeah no lots of meanings to it yeah definitely so we have two cases we have the first case with the pockets and the second case which is which uh, Nasser ran um, this plaster down the mountain um, where again the mountain stopped you know stopped in its vertical nature and started to become more flat and so he this is the, the largest piece of his and uh, and so yeah so what we have again is the same as what we have in the initial case again here looking at what causes this change? What are we actually doing, and and what are we saving for the future? Um, and uh, and this and so his in between is it's almost frantic, you know, and and obsessive in the sense of what are we going to have and how much is going to change over time. So another artist who's done work also about the mountains is Asma Ahmad, and I know she's from Ras Al Khaimah, and I know she's obsessed with the mountains. So I'm interested to see this version of her work because I've seen previous work where she addresses uh, um, issues related to the mountain, and and this is one of the bigger pieces I've seen by her. So can you talk us through that? 100%. This this work is uh, it's called uh, geo displacement, and um, it it is a basically hollow mountain that is made out of rods, steel rods, and uh, mesh. And um, and she's been obsessed from when I first met her, which is like about a year ago now, with this idea of mesh and how mesh and mountains have similarities in their in their texture and their context. And as you said, she's from Ras Al Khaimah, and so she's grown up seeing these mountains being taken away from her. And so she feels like it's, a, it's, it's very personal, the narrative that she has with the mountains. She feels as though these mountains have been basically like robbed from, from beneath her feet, you know. And, and taken because they're used as materials for construction. Exactly. And, and yeah, so this kind of like using, you know, I, I think she described it in one of the exhibitions where kind of even using our natural resources as materials, you know, to build, other, you know, not Man respecting, made. yeah, not respecting the mountainscape and leaving it as it is. Exactly. And so what she's done is she's taken this this idea and flipped it on its head for this ex, for this exhibition and for this work and so she's showing us a, another state of in between basically where instead of using the mountains to create these man-made skyscrapers she's using what is usually used in these um, the, in construction sites uh, for these buildings to create a mountain and so what we have is this very haunting hollow mountain that has a very uh, Louise Bourgeois spider feel when you go inside, you feel small, you feel a little bit lost. There's a sense of uh, immediate remorse for me when I go in, like, what are we doing? What's, you know, what, what, what's, what's with, you know, why can't we use other things? Why do we have to take these mountains? And I'm absolutely not a mountain person, a island child of Abu Dhabi, you know, so th listening to her speak and seeing this, this work come to life really began to, um, we, the conversation that was being had was the sense of what happens when things disappear. Mm -hmm. And so memory is a definite tag or highlight for this piece. And so the question is when things disappear, they reappear as a memory. And when they reappear as a memory, the only thing that you have to support that memory usually is a photograph 
or an object. And so what we have here is this haunting memory skeleton of a mountain and some stones that were gathered from the mountains in uh, Ras al-Khaimah and scattered on the ground. And you're invited to walk through the piece to experience it fully. But then behind it, there's a projection, and the projection is of uh, one of the mountains that she saw being taken away um, from the landscape. And so there's, it's a shadow almost, and it's very ghostly, and the juxtaposition of this raw, very, like, um, rod-filled, you know, construction-like space and having this, like, romantic photograph behind it. The conversation between the two is, it really drives the idea home. Um, and it, it, it pushes her... Um, her, her sense of understanding and what she's trying to get across to the public, uh, you know, through completely. Okay. So whose work should we look at next? Uh, I'm thinking Seifem Hassan's work, okay. uh, which is... We, photograph? With the, yeah, gigantic work, yeah. It's an enormous piece uh, of Seifem Hassan, and who's known for his, paint, for his painting, and, uh, and he's... Um, and he, uh, the moment he told me what he wanted to do, he was the first artist that I approached because he was leaving for his MFA. And I, in the back of my head, was like, okay, we'll commission him for, for a painting because that's what SAFE does. And um, so I went to him with the initial iteration of um, my curatorial statement. And within that uh, initial uh, statement, there was this, a line that went along the lines that Within myself, there is an I, there is a we, there is a they. So uh, describing that, although I'm one Mnira, there are a lot of Mniras that, you know, embody me to have gotten me to this position. And that the moment that I learned to embrace that, you know, yani, here there's a culture that I attend to, but when I'm in London, there's a, like another part of me that comes up and New York, so on and so forth. So how does that conversation begin to define our generation and I think it's something that our generation really in between generation not struggles with but doesn't know how to embrace or accept yeah like they have to deal with that right like who are they when they're in a society you know like family and who are they with when they travel abroad and and yeah so it's almost kind of these multiple personalities that you have to deal with and yeah. and negotiate exactly multiple selves basically and and that and and so the conversation i was having with safe he was like i really like the sentence i want to do something with this and he was telling me he was like actually i started a project that would fit perfectly with this exhibition but it needs a second part so i told him what was it and he said um before he shaved his beard uh, and uh, and and his and his hair, he uh, or started to grow his hair back. He uh, he decided to take a photograph, and so safe pre. Um, I didn't know him with the beard and stuff, but he was supposedly a very different man to the man that I now know. And so what he started to do was when he grew his beard, he embodied another persona, or he began to transform very deeply on the inside as someone else. And uh, or the someone, a new someone within himself, basically. And so, the question of self and the evolution of self is what this piece is discussing, and the question of ego and label, and how those things begin to change. So, what we have here is what most don't realize until they read the text is that we have two safes. We have a safe on the left hand side, and we have a safe on the right hand side. The safe on the left hand side 
is the safe that took this photograph before I met him, um, where he one day decided that he was going to shave his beard and he's going to start afresh. And he was going to change his, his, his personality is going to begin to change now. It's going to begin to evolve. And so in, that, in the safe on the left-hand side, what we have is a safe with the beard and this um, white cloak-like, very he looks very like a philosopher and from a time that is not of the present he looks like he's come like time traveled from I don't know another time with like in discussion with you know Aristotle or something and then just moved to the UAE and landed here and and his eyes are very firm he looks very stubborn his hand gestures are aggressive and 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 certain there's no questions and then, so he took these images of himself as himself. And then I met him, and he ended up taking the photograph on, his, on the right-hand side, and he juxtaposed the right-hand side photograph with the left-hand side. And on the right, you see this man that's more um, of the now. There's a fluidity to him. There's a softness to him. He looks like doesn't have a care in the world, doesn't care about what this old guy has to say, you know, across from him. And so there's this discussion and conversation of the self, of the ego, of time. And we discussed why it's a photograph as opposed to a painting is because photograph, a photograph will capture that moment and that's it. Whereas when you paint something, you're immediately adding more to the, um, to the narrative than what a photograph is there's a there's a falseness to a painting always regardless of its hyper realistic sense that he that he paints in that a photograph will tell you the truth more so and so the white background uh, kind of blurs the boundary of time and the large size again discusses the ego that he feels he deals with on a regular day-to-day -day basis. I mean, when I saw it, I thought of uh, performance. I thought there was a very performative element to it. And, you know, is he performing different characters? But now you say, no, he's performing different characters that are him. So he's not, like, taking on other characteristics from outside. And there, so I guess it's a reflection of just kind of his different ideas of who he is right and and uh and yeah because i've only seen pictures of him with this with this heavy big beard and the shaved head and uh and then yeah the other picture was this clean shaven very contemporary modern good looking young man you know in a waistcoat and shirt and and yeah so um yeah i know it's kind of like i said it was very performative in, in terms of element but my immediate reaction was yeah he's just performing external elements but interesting to hear that these are all kind of internal, internal debates uh, yeah. yeah okay so should we move on to Hatim's work yes so Hatim uh, Hatim Hatim comes from an uh, architectural background which is something a few of these artists have like Talin and uh, Nasr and also Talal who we'll discuss later and um, so with with Hatim's work he looks specifically at the moment of uh, his his moment of inspiration is this idea of corals and corals in buildings, and as you might already know, corals uh, historically speaking were used as a material for building homes and different buildings, mosques, so on, so so forth. And so, as Hatem was doing his research, he realized that. Um, Corals overall across the world are on a decline. They're slowly dying out. There's a, there, there's a change in landscape and the seas across the world. But there's also a study that's been uh, set where there are certain um, chemical compounds that you can put together to uh, wrap, like to, to make um, coral growth 
uh, happen at a rapid pace. And so he started to experiment with these compounds. And so what we have here are three different tanks. And uh, within the tanks, there are these abstracted, um, these abstracted metal coral shapes that he's created, inspired from different corals. And, uh, and throughout the exhibition, what he's done is he's placed this uh, chemical compound inside the tank, and the tank then, um, through, you know, through the, the technology that it has on the inside, ge generates the oxygen that is necessary, and then the, um, the coral begins to grow alongside this, um, the, uh, onto the, 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 the uh, metal structures that are on the inside. So what he's showing is, and what he's questioning is this idea of the state of in-between being a, a, a hand that comes in from the outside, as opposed to something that is unlike safe, that is generated from the inside. And so what we have, uh, what we will have by the end of the exhibition is uh, a very different, piece of work than what was initially had in the beginning of that's, it. That's right, because this is probably the only object that's actually transforming day by day, right? So compared to when it first opened the exhibition, compared to what it looks like now and when it ends, it's going to be a completely different piece. Uh, so it's almost like a live art uh, action going on yeah. at the moment. It looks very science fiction to me. I thought of aliens when I saw them. And, uh, it yeah. has that feel. And it's because it's encased in the courtyard also, which is like you feel like it's like a it's a study on its own, yeah. you know. Like, and you wonder if you should go in, if you should look at it, and it does have that. It, it is the most scientific of all pieces here. Like, even understanding it initially and the way he was talking to me about it, I was like, you have to really break it down for me, you know, with regards to these compounds and what it does and how it works. And, um, and, and it's really interesting because, again, like Nasser's work, it touches base on climate change and the environment changing and the effect on the, the world, you know, that that, that, that has. Next, we have Metha and uh, Shamsi's work. So the work, we have three pieces. Um, we have a sound shower. We have a um, piece that we're now approaching, which is a, it's a speaker. And uh, the speaker is, uh, the, the work is titled The Curator. And basically what, um, what the work is looking at was she started to ask me questions. And she started to discuss this idea of the first state of in-between is a thought. And so, so being, um, being a thinker and somebody who generally is thinking a lot, she's saying you're in a state of in-between almost always because you're always in, that, in the brain. In, and the brain is the first state of in-between. So what we have is what she did is she recorded a few, she asked me a few questions, she recorded them. And then she created a piece with this ambient noise of what she feels like the brain would sound like if you were to be to exist in it. So it's like the voices in my head kind of piece? Basically. <laughs> basically. And it's very trippy for me to hear myself because sometimes I'm like, okay, let's listen to it a bit. To a degree, I feel like only once I really truly understand them, once I've thought them through and thought them through obsessively and have come out of that obsession with something with value, only then do I share my thoughts, only when I can share them with conviction. Of course, I know. 
And that's your voice, but I think she's distorted it a bit. She has. What's really interesting is I was answering questions, and she took those questions, she took those answers, and she even paired them against each other. Like, the way that she played with the answers was very strange for me to hear the outcome because I had never realized that one answer was like a complete debate to another answer and that there's this... Opposite extreme in the way that I think, and then I find a middle ground. I'm like, okay, here, I'll just land here. You know, this is a good in-between space. And so, so, she, so she she began to take these things and distort them and pair them against each other or pair them with each other. And so the questions became answers, and the answers became questions. And so, yeah, it's a remix of thoughts, I guess. Yeah. Uh, to to a degree, yeah. yes, a remix of thoughts. And and I think what's interesting. With this work is she took my thoughts, but she framed them according to how she thinks, and uh, and so it's a, a pairing of thoughts and a pairing of this in between remixed state, you know. And the other sound piece you called it the shower. What did you? So say? We have a sound shower which is called Ben Jastrain, um, the two bridges between the two bridges. And what Metha did is Metha's from Bobby, and uh, she's uh, currently studying in the UK and she's studying sonic arts. And she learned how to create um, sound while looking at a specific object. So through the size of an object, the color of an object, there are certain sounds that you can, um, or music that you can write. So she wrote, wrote two different music pieces about the Sheikh Zayed Bridge and the Maktar Bridge, which is the oldest bridge and the first bridge of Bulabi, and Sheikh Zayed Bridge is the newest bridge. And she had those two bridges, the sounds of the two bridges, be played, uh, intertwined with one another, almost talking to each other. So it's as if the old is speaking to the new and the new is speaking to the old. And so what happens is it's contained, the sound's contained until you walk underneath it. When you walk underneath it, all of a sudden you hear, like, it's like, sound like raining down on you and uh, it's very soft and you can almost tell which one is the futuristic one just from the sound and which one is um, the Maktar bridge which is the, the older one and um, so so that piece is very specific to Abu Dhabi and looking at Abu Dhabi and for her she's like we're already in in between state because we live on an island and these are the things that take us in and out and so they're the actual links and so she began to think about what links us and how do we how do we reach out and how do people reach in and in regards to architecture. So she, she focused on the bridges. The next piece uh, is, um, I'll speak about uh, Manal Doyan's piece, which is the guest artist, our guest artist of this year. And um, Manal's work is called The Tree of Guardians. And um, this, uh, this piece is uh, looking at the... Um, so it's a work that she created when she was in Jeddah doing a workshop. And so the question that she posed to the woman at the workshop was, how far along can you trace your lineage back through your mother's side? So as Arab, we always introduce ourselves as, you know, my name, my father's name, his father's name, his father's name, so on and so forth, family name. And so she tried to you know, take that idea and and um, and and switch it and see. Okay, so you know all of these people. Majority of these men you've probably never met in your life, and probably will not. You know, have a long-lasting effect as your mothers and their mothers on them, so on and so forth. So, once she asked that question, 
the women were asked to do uh, uh, the women were asked to do basically a family tree, looking at the, their lineage through their mother's side. And what we have here is um, the end, that end result, which is a uh, which is ha these hanging golden leaves. And so the ones that only have one leaf are people who could only remember their mother's generation. And then the ones that have um, more leaves going down are ones that had a recollection or could trace their lineage back even further than their grandmother or their great-grandmother. And so it's alarming to see the, you know, the, the amount of people who could maybe just trace, trace their lineage back from their mom's side only down to their grandma or great-grandma. Um, and so it's a very, uh, it's a very powerful piece. Of course, it has all of these, you know, just like feminist uh, edges to it, and uh, and it's very interesting. And the reaction that people have had to this work has been really interesting for me, more from the male side than the female side. The females b are shocked. They're like, "How come I never thought of this?" You know, and uh, and so. And Menal is, that's what she's trying to do. She's trying to, to document an entire generation of women that otherwise will have been erased from history because they're just not documented as a part of our culture. It's not, and you, you never ask people what they're, when, you, when you're asked who, you are the, the daughter or the son of whom, if you're not me, you usually say your dad's name, you know. And so, but, and, and it's culturally unacceptable to say your mother's name. I had to grow up, you know, learning that because I'm always like, I'm my mom's daughter, you know. So I always say my mom's name, my mom's name. And then, and then at a certain age, I was told, you know, it's not, that's not how it works. Um, and so it's really interesting. There's a, definitely an anthropological lens to this piece also and it's it's been very powerful and the men that i've seen react to this piece is uh, they they're like wow you know they don't realize how much of a uh, how much of a given it is that they're documented and that women are almost sidelined until they disappear yeah i mean it's very normalized it's not thought of on on Till you bring it up, and then it becomes oh wait, and oh, and it's thought of as a new idea. But I think we probably need more artists like Manel to pose these questions and and fill the gaps, and yeah, bring to light the importance and the role of women, with you know, from a personal perspective, from a. a you know, a private, public, and, and yeah, this whole kind of shielding and protecting, because it's always in the guise of, you know, protection, right? You don't mention women's name because you're protecting them. Yeah. And so I'm, I think, like you said, the word powerful came to mind, especially seeing how many leaves are just standalone because they only go back to their mother, but the few strands, which some of them are like almost four or five or six, which where they can trace back to their greater grandmothers, and and I've noticed writings on it. So they've written the names of these yeah. the women, right? Yeah. Okay. So the the names of uh, the generation of women um, from generation to generation. Of course, we, this work is actually much more monumental than what has been um, displayed here. There's there are a lot more leaves, but due to our space, we weren't able to uh, to to display everything. But the the piece was first. Um, put together in the first 2139 in Jeddah, and that was the first time I had seen it. And it was... Is that an art fair, or is it... It's, it's an art... 
exhibition um, that takes place through the uh, Saudi Art Council. And so it's a non-for-profit that comes, comes together on a yearly basis. I think this is their f fourth year running or fifth year running. And uh, they, the way that they had it was in drapes. And so, it, but they had a huge space and they had everything um, presented and they had just done the uh, the workshops. So it was a fresh piece. It was a new work, and it, it's in no matter how you display this work, the content is so powerful and it's so empowering that it's it's necessary to to see, to understand, to participate in, and almost to have something like this that is documenting every major city in the Gulf. Mm -hmm. Because because it is, yes, it is a feminist piece, but it is also an anthropological work. And that too is very important. And is this an ongoing project or is like, do you know if Manel's carrying on with this or? I know she wants to, yeah. I know she wants to. I don't think she's done um, anything since this work. Uh, that That is Tree of Guardians uh, related. All right, and the last piece we're going to talk about? The last piece we have is uh, Talal Ansari's work. And Talal, this is his first exhibition. He has never shown before um, Bain. And uh, Talal also, like Sara, was one of the Venice um, interns who I had met five uh, five years ago, and uh, his work is, uh, he generally, Talal narrates, um, he narrates different Islamic stories through, um, through very architectural drawings and, uh, and that are very detailed, and usually when you look at them, you begin to dissect that there's a lot of layers to them, and he has these different characters that portray different people, and, uh, or different things and different aspects. And with this specific work, um, he was inspired by what caused us to reach the state of in-between. And to him, it's, um, it's three things. It's the power of Yani Rabbi, of God, uh, Sheikh Zayed, and the finding of oil. And so what we have um, in this work is it's split into four different chapters. The first chapter is looking at the finding of crude oil. And uh, what you begin to see in the first chunk is this wheel and inside it a very robotic um, camel. And the camel is just moving across this wheel. To, and what he's trying to symbolize is the stereotypical mindset of what the Bedou were like. And so, so this, this kind of brain-numbing ongoing work, and there's a small switch that says on and off. And then near that switch, there's a, dr uh, a drill that goes down and, and takes the, um, the oil. And what you see in that oil is he's like a little family of oil people. And basically what he's saying is that's, that was the beginning of who we are now. But then you move across this um, across this image, and you see uh, a bigger monster type thing with its teeth coming out, and and it ha and it's holding the pump over this little camel that thinks it has the switch, and the pump has the big switch that says on and off. So he be begins to position oil as a power, a political power, and that there's the, the narrative is not just on the ground a bunch of people on the ground. It's actually much bigger than us. And so you move from there into the second, um, the second chapter, and you begin to see that there's this uh, sense of uh, factory. 
And so this is where uh, Sheikh Zayed uh, comes in. And Allah Rahman, he was asked um, once by a, uh, some guy, media man, in his car. He was asked, um, he was asked, what's the role of factories in the UAE? And so this guy didn't see the answer coming. And he said, what's the point of a factory? He's like, uh, our men and our people, Sha'bina, the, the people of the nation, are our factories. They're the ones who are going to generate um, happiness. They're going to generate education. They're going to generate prosperity through understanding and ilm, education and different knowledge and acceptance and tolerance. And so basically what he did was he began to frame the people as as factories, as people who are generating. They're not just going to be their idol because there's oil. What's the point of oil if the people can't, they can't be in charge? And so when you look at the second chapter, uh, you begin to see that there are these beams that are coming from the sky. And these beams, when they leak into the actual illustration, they spell out Allah. And then that then leaks down, and, and all of this creates the factory sense. It leaks down, and you see the name Zayed. And, uh, and so, so with that, then it pushes you to the, um, to the third and fourth chapter. And the third chapter is uh, more looking at the now, the present, the technical, these machines that are pushing things inward and outward, and, and, and this, um, this uh, acceptance of movement and, and back and forth. And then at the end, you, we end with um, a, a bigger machine that, um, as he says, kind of plops out this heart. And for him, the heart is the, sim uh, the symbol of what Sheikh Zayed was talking about, the passion. And so the overall work looks at these different factors and how the factors have come together to create this moment of the present, which we've defined through this exhibition as, as an in-between state. Thank you, Munira. Thanks Thank for you. taking the time to explain uh, all this work. And it's uh, great to see an opportunity to commission emerging artists and give them time to explore their ideas and make work. Thank you very much, Hind. I really appreciate this uh, opportunity. Well, it's uh, always great talking to you and having yeah. these conversations are very helpful. So yeah, no, it, it's always good to hear a deeper discussion about the work. Uh, and I guess you spent a lot of time talking with all these artists. So now I appreciate you sharing all the insights and thoughts uh, behind each work. Thank you for listening to this episode. You can subscribe, download and listen to Tea with Culture on iTunes and SoundCloud. Please do take a minute to rate us to help with our rankings and leave a comment to tell us what you think. You can also follow Tea with Culture on Twitter. Thanks again. Until next time.